I'm excited this morning to begin a new series about a guy named Elisha. Now, you may not, when you hear that, be quite as excited because you're thinking, Elisha, who is this? Well, Elisha was a guy who was way back in the Old Testament. If you want to find him, you're going to need to look all the way back in First and Second Kings in the Old Testament in order to encounter this guy named Elisha. Now, what you want to be careful of is there's another guy by the name of Elijah. Spelled a little differently, a little bit different letters in there, kind of starts the same way. So you don't want to get confused. We're going to be talking about Elisha. But the good news is today, I get to confuse you a lot because they're both in the story. So we'll have to figure all this out. Now, one of the things you may be asking yourself is, hang on, you're saying you're going to talk about a guy who's way back in the Old Testament time, thousands of years ago, and, and, and I need to know, <laughs> what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with my life right now? If you're going to go and talk about this guy who's been dead for a long, long time, what has this got to do with me today and the here and now? What I want to hear is a message that's going to tell me how to live, going to tell me what to do, going to tell me how to feel. I need all this message about me. But here's what I want to, I want to assure you of this. When we look at this guy, Elisha, what you're going to discover is something I try to tell people all the time. God is God and people are people no matter where you are or when you are. Okay, And so the same things that we can discover back in the pages of the Old Testament as we blow off the dust, we can find principles for life. We can find truths for life that help us to live our daily lives. And so don't bug out on me just because you go, who is this guy, Elijah? Because look at the, look at the subtitle. We're beginning with a barbecue. And I really thought, If I'm going to drive this point home, what I need to have is a grill going up here this morning. But then I thought about smoke detectors and sprinklers. And I thought, well, I'll just have to let people use their imagination and maybe grab barbecue when it's over. But we're going to be looking at this this morning. So here, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and find 1 Kings. Start from the left and work your way through. You'll you'll get there quicker that way. 1 Kings. Kings is where we're going to be, and we're going to be in the 19th chapter, beginning with verse 19, just a few verses out of there. So I'll give you a few minutes to check that out, to find 1 Kings in your Bible, because we're going to be in First and Second Kings over the course of the next few weeks. And so you kind of want to know the general location of those books as we discover who this is and what God's called us to. If you didn't bring your Bibles this morning or having trouble finding it, we're going to put the words on the screen, and they're also printed in your handout this morning. But here is God's word to us this morning in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 19. So Elijah, with a J, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, if you're a southerner, and maybe in the southern part of the kingdom, they pronounced it Shaphat. Whatever, it's fine. I don't think he's dead. He doesn't care. Now, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the twelfth pair. And Elijah went up to him, and he threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah, replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. And he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant or his servant. Now, 
we need to find out who's in this story. And so let's begin with the first one mentioned, who was Elijah. Elijah was a very powerful prophet. He would be considered uh, among uh, the Jewish people as the preeminent prophet. In fact, if you fast forward to the New Testament and you find Jesus as he's being transfigured, there are two Old Testament people who are there with him in that bright blinding light. One is Moses and the other is Elijah. So Elijah is a big time serious prophet both in Jewish history but also in that time. Elijah lived in the ninth century BC so that's a long long time ago and he lived in the northern kingdom and that's where his ministry his prophetic ministry was. You remember the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms Okay, they're divided after Solomon's death. It was kind of a mess. But the northern king of Israel, and that's where he was. Now, the, the guy on the throne in the northern kingdom was named King Ahab. And he had a wife, a beautiful young lady, just sweet as she could be. No, not really. Jezebel was her name. Oh, we're already getting groans from now. Even if you don't know the story, you know Jezebel is just not it. It's not something you want to name your daughter. Yeah, yeah. isn't this great? Grandparents, you walk in, well, here's your new great-granddaughter, Jezebel. No, that's just not a name you want to name somebody. Why? Because of the reputation. Now, King Ahab was a wicked king. He was. But he was also kind of spineless. But good for him, he married a woman who was just as wicked, but who had a spine. And together, they were a dangerous, dangerous combination. And so, Elijah is prophesying really in in an environment where he is always under assault. He is not in a friendly area. But he's doing God's work and he's preaching God's message. And we discover that there are listed about 14 miracles that Elijah performed. If you count fulfilled prophecies as miracles, 14. That'll be important as we look at it next week. But among those, he caused, God calls through him, a three and a half year drought. Now, some, sometimes we here in, in Georgia, we go through a little bit of a drought. You know, we'll have weeks on end without much rain. Over in California, they, they experienced some much, much drier times. And maybe if we lived out there, it would strike us uh, a little harder. But three and a half years without one drop of rain falling from the sky. He was also the, excuse me, the, the spokesperson to tell the people that God's going to let it rain now. Also, what we discovered, uh, we, he brought a dead boy back to life. There was an incident where he and 400 prophets of Baal were, were actually had a contest to see which one, which God was really real. And he was, he asked the Lord, he prayed and fire came down from the sky and consumed the altar and everything that was on it and licked up all the water that was around it and everything. And, and then there's another probably less known, but just as dramatic event where a couple of times there are 50 soldiers who come after him and he asked God to send fire down from the sky and it consumes them all. And so this is, This is not a guy to be trifled with, okay? This is a big-time prophet. And the reason I'm spending this little bit of time on Elijah is you need to to understand the story. You need to understand the kind of guy Elijah was. And so, guess what? 
you can go start in 1 Kings and you can kind of read and catch up if you want to get up to, verse, uh, up to chapter 19 because the first part of chapter 19 is also pretty interesting as well, uh, which is actually what we had our small group on on Wednesday night. So that's Elijah, big-time prophet. Now, Elijah, as we read the text, Elijah finds Elisha. Do not think that this was just an accidental, accidental stumbling upon this guy, okay? Elijah, with the exception that we actually read in 18 and 19, Elijah, with the exception of, of one instance, was very, very attuned to what God wanted for him. And he went where God told him to go, and he said what God told him to say. And so don't think that he would just happen to be walking by and just ran into Elisha. He was there because God sent him there. It was the right time, the right place. It was right where God wanted him to be. Now, we meet Elisha out in the field. Seems to be a fairly ordinary guy. Doesn't seem to be anything that's too dramatic about him. We'll assume he was faithful to God because, he was, because of this incident that happened. But if we look at his life, we discover he seems to be a fairly ordinary guy. And he was raised in a um, fairly affluent family. Because you'll notice in the text that there were 12 yoke of oxen. Okay, if you've got 12 yoke of oxen, uh, that's like having 12 tractors. That's a lot of land, a lot of people you're either employed or have as servants, and a lot of oxen out there in the field. So he was probably from a a fairly wealthy family. Now, unlike what we see on TV, where the wealthy people just kind of kick back and take it easy, that's not where we find Elisha. Elisha is out in the field. There are 12 yoke of oxen, and he holds the handles of the plow behind one of those yoke of oxen. Two ox tied together, pulling the plow in the field. And that's where Elijah finds Elisha out working in his father's field behind this team of oxen. Now, I've never done that. How many of you have plowed behind animals? Some of you, not too many of you, right? Okay, but some of you have. I didn't have that experience. Maybe I ought to get you up here. My experience was on a tractor, and don't envision it like you see these big monstrous tractors now. I'm kind of envious because they're able to sit in a very comfortable seat in an enclosed cab with air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. they got a stereo system. They're just, I mean, it's like sitting in the car. You're just doing work while you're driving. I sat on the tractor from probably 7 a.m. on the morning until we were done in the afternoon. There was no shelter, nothing over me, just sitting in the hot sun all day long, driving at a probably pretty robust pace of about two miles an hour. Man, just smoking along. Pulling a tobacco harvester, because then they had to break it by hand, sitting on little seats. Anyway, you don't need to know all that. But it had to be worse. Getting up at the crack of dawn, getting the animals harnessed up and starting to plow those fields all day long. You can imagine it was probably rather boring work. You're out there on your own. All you've got is a couple of oxen. Hey, the, the scenery's not too good. You can let that fill your own imagination as to what he was watching all day long. And the smell probably wasn't that great either. 
But this is his job. This is his task. And this is where this great prophet of God finds Elisha out plowing in the fields. Now, even though Elijah was pretty well off, he worked hard in a job that was probably boring, monotonous, smelly. Some of you are going, I can identify with Elisha. I know exactly what you're talking about because I have a job where I work hard. Sometimes it can get repetitious, boring, monotonous. And I can kind of identify with with Elisha because some of the people I work with kind of have stinky attitudes. Or maybe I feel like I'm walking around all day looking at ox rear ends. What we need to understand is even from a simple view of this guy who didn't have to do that, didn't have to be there, we can discover some things that are helpful for us. These are not in your notes. But I think it's helpful for us to understand because some of you are stuck there. That's exactly where you feel like you are. I'm in this monotonous grind of hard work and I don't really feel like I'm getting anywhere. And every day it's kind of the same thing. And I'm working in an environment that's not, it's just not the greatest environment in the world. How do I handle that? How do I get up from day to day to day to day? Well, I think it's important that we understand that there are environments like that. And you may be looking to escape. You may be looking to get out. What do we learn, though, from Elisha's example? We learn this. If we're faithful with the small things, then we show God that we're willing and able to have greater things in our lives. And some of us are so quick to try to escape where we are that we don't recognize that even in the midst of that, God's working in your life. Some of you go to places to work. and You don't like it. You don't like the people. You don't like what you're doing. And you go in maybe with kind of a, a murmuring attitude like I've had for the last couple of weeks. Maybe you had that murmuring attitude. You're just grumbling under your breath the whole day long. You hate to get up in the morning. You hate to go in. You can't wait until Friday when you can leave those bozos behind. But did you ever think that in the midst of that, God might be trying to do something in your life? God might try, be trying to show you something. He may... He may be trying to make you that light in that dark environment. You're the only person there who can shine. And yet, you're a dim bulb. You're not willing to shine. You're not willing to to be the person God's created you to be in that environment. I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are, what your work environment is, what you're going through right now, I just want to encourage you. God's got something in store for you. Be faithful where you are. Faithful to God, faithful to your family, faithful to your employer. Because God's got something greater that he's wanting to do, not only in the future, but in you right now. But let, Let's move on with the story. That's kind of a, a sidebar, no extra charge for that. So Elijah, the great prophet of God, walks out into this field where Elisha is. Newly turned dirt. He's just walking out there to him and he takes off his his cloak or his mantle, his outer garment, he takes off his cloak and he goes and he lays it 
on the shoulders of Elisha. Now, what's that all about? What was happening here was God was through Elijah. God was calling Elisha. What Elijah was doing in placing that on it was saying, you are chosen. I'm picking you to come and to follow me, to leave the life you have behind and to come learn from me, to be my servant, to be my attendant. But in time, in time to be a prophet yourself. Fill some pretty big sandals. And so without a word, just laying that cloak, that mantle on Elisha's shoulders was an indicator that Elisha was being called to something greater than what he was doing now. Higher than what he was doing now. Something that would come, though, with a great cost. And and you might imagine, if, if you were in Elisha's sandals or bare feet, and you were walking along, just minding your own business, doing your own job, the same thing you'd done yesterday, the same thing you'll be doing tomorrow. And you had this call. There'd be a lot of questions in your mind. There'd be a lot of doubts in your heart. What do I do? How do I respond? Because Elijah was calling Elisha to leave everything behind. When God called Elisha, remember this. He was a farmer's son with dirt on his face and ox manure on his feet. And anytime you think you are unworthy of God coming into your life, placing his hand upon you and calling you to something, remember who Elisha was. Farmer's son, covered with dirt, with manure on his feet, just going through his daily routine. And so Elijah comes and he calls Elisha. And what is Elisha's response? He takes off after him. That moment of decision, Elisha decides. But you see, Elisha, even with this monotonous job he's going through, he had a lot to leave behind. He had mom and dad, maybe brothers and sisters, we don't know. He had an inheritance waiting for him, probably a pretty good size inheritance considering the size of the farm and and all the the oxen that he had and the servants to work the farm. He probably had a, a pretty big inheritance waiting for him. He was leaving that behind. He may never see his parents again. You see, this placing of the cloak, placing of the mantle on Elisha's shoulders was far bigger than just saying, hey, let me, I got another job offer for you. It was saying, Elisha, I want you to leave where you are, leave everything behind, and to come and follow. Be my attendant, be my servant. 
Now, this leads us to the first big truth this morning that I want to share with you, and that is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Parents, you understand this, right? There are times that you tell your children to do something. What's the expectation? That they'll do it. Not that they'll debate you about it. Why? Because you love them. You care about them. You have their best interest at heart. And so them obeying you without the the questioning, without the, the whole rigmarole. And some of you don't have that. Some of you, every time you tell your child to do something, to go somewhere, to, you know, they're going to debate you every, every step of the way. So some of you are there. And you understand how beautiful a thing it would be if out of love you instructed your child to do something and they simply did it. What about God's call in our lives? You don't always get to fully understand what God's calling you to. Think about this. When God called Abram, this was the call. Go to a land I will show you. I'm not giving you a map. You've got no GPS. I'm not telling you your final destination or where you're going to sleep tonight or tomorrow night or the night after that. Just get up and go to a land I will show you. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Consider the disciples as Jesus came by and they were in the midst of their day. They were doing their stuff. And he says, follow me. They dropped their nets. They left everything behind in order to follow. He came to Matthew, the tax collector. Follow me. He closed his booth up, closed up shop, left that life behind in order to follow. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. To embrace the plan that God has for you, you have to be ready to leave behind the plans you have for yourself. To embrace the dream God has for you, you need to be ready to leave behind the dreams that you have by for yourself. Listen, eventually you have to decide who's boss. You have to decide who has the final authority in your life. Does God have it or do I have veto power? Because you're not always going to be able to understand fully what God is calling you to. But that doesn't mean that's an excuse to disobey. So Elisha, when he's called, had to make a decision. And there comes a time when we must decide whether we will stay where we are or go with God. And some of you are there today. You're struggling with decisions in your life. You know that God has called you to something or God has called you from something. And you're struggling with that decision because to embrace that decision means that there are things that you have to leave behind permanently in order to embrace what God has for you. And that's not easy. So when Elisha was called by Elijah, he asked for only one thing. Let me go back and kiss my parents goodbye. It certainly was an act of affection, certainly was an act of love, but it was also a moment of break with his old life. 
I'm leaving, I'm, for, I'm leaving my inheritance behind. I may never see you again. That kiss goodbye was exactly that. A kiss goodbye. And we know it was goodbye because of what he did next. He went back out to where the oxen were. And it says he killed the oxen. And he used, he used the wood that his plow was made up as part of the fire to cook the ox barbecue. And then he invited the people to come and to eat. He burned up the ox. He burned up the plow. He left behind that life to follow another. His final break with his old life, a blazing symbol of a new life. And he didn't start at the top. That's how we like to start, isn't it? We, we like to say, okay, God, I'm willing to serve you. I'm willing to do this, but I've got certain standards. Let me, let me just tell you what they are ahead of time. This is, this is what I expect to earn. This is where I expect to live. The, you know, I've got these standards. No, it says that when he was called, he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant or to become his attendant. He started at the bottom. In fact, it's kind of interesting, later in 2 Kings chapter 3, when they're referring to Elisha, this is how they referred to Elisha. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Man, most of us would like to have a little better reputation than that, wouldn't we? Yeah, who is this guy? Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's Elijah's servant. He, he never made it up the ladder. People never looked at him like they looked at Elijah in that same sense. He's the guy that used to wash Elijah's hands. If you're going to set out and follow God, you don't get, you don't get to set the, the rules, the standards. And I know there have been, been folks who, who tried to do that with God and say, okay, God, I'll, I'll go if you'll, if you'll do this, I'll go. I had one friend in seminary. He was bound and determined to get because I went to seminary in Southwestern, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. And he was bound and determined to get back closer to home. He wanted to get east of the Mississippi. And he began to pray. He began to pray, God, God, just give me a church east of the Mississippi. I'll be happy anywhere east of the Mississippi. I'll be happy anywhere east of the Mississippi. And God, in his great sense of humor, gave him a church east of the Mississippi and within sight of it. Just got him over the border. You know, he let him have what he wanted. There are times, listen, there are times we want to start at the top. I confess to you this morning some of my own struggle. But I've told very few people that when I was in seminary, I had an opportunity to pastor a church, pastor a church, in a little place called Heiko, Texas. It was nothing but pasture as far as you could see. And in the middle of that pasture on this little road, there was this little white church building. And I was asked to go there on a couple of Sundays to fill in preaching with the hope that I might go and, and actually take that as a, as a church while I was in seminary. And I went 
And I stood there with those 12 or 13 people. And I preached my heart out. And they were nice people. And I honestly knew God wanted me to go. But it was too far away. It was kind of inconvenient. And it was really small. So I didn't take it. It wasn't what I envisioned. It wasn't what I had in mind. And so I let it go. And I, honestly, I have no idea, and I won't know until I get to heaven, I have no idea what I forfeited by not going where God wanted me to go. And I say that not to make you think less of me because aren't we all in that same boat? Can't we all look back at points in our lives and say, I know God called me to something, and I said no. Because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. This didn't live up to my expectations. This started too small. This didn't have enough bang and glitz and glamour for me. This was too inconvenient. This would cost too much. But Elisha said, I don't know what's out there waiting on me. But I know that God through Elijah has called me. And therefore, I'm not only kissing my parents goodbye, I'm burning up my old life in order to go this new life. And this leads us to the second important truth this morning. It's this. The, one God, God, the ones God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. The ones that God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. To embrace God's plan for your life, you've got to be willing to leave everything behind. He doesn't always call us to leave everything behind, but we need to be willing to leave everything behind in order to go where God wants us to go and to do what God wants us to do. If we hold on too tightly, we've got no room for God to pour into our hands what he wants us to have. And So here's two questions I want you to dwell on this morning. I want you to think about this. You've got room. You can even write the answer down if you need to. The first question is this. What is holding you back from following God's call in your life? It could be something simple as fear. What's holding you back? Maybe it's the cost. What's holding you back from following God's call in your life? The second question is akin to it. What are you holding on to? that is keeping you from embracing God's plan for your life. On the one hand, there's something perhaps holding you back, but on the other hand, there's something you may be holding on to. Security. Security is a big one for us. Convenience. Comfort. What is it that I'm holding on to? I'm unwilling to burn up in order to go where God wants me to go and to do what God wants me to do. And some of you, not all of you, but some of you this morning are maybe squirming a little bit in your seats because you know exactly what I'm talking about because God's been talking to you for a while. And he's laid some burden, some calling on your heart. And you've been, you've been struggling with that because to do it means it's going to be not only inconvenient, but it's going to be costly. So what do you do? Because some of you know that God's calling you away 
from something. What's he calling you away from? From comfort? Or maybe it's something less savory. Maybe God's calling you away from pornography. Maybe God's calling you away from foul language. Maybe God's calling you away from laziness. Perhaps God's calling you away from cruelty. You recognize that you aren't treating people the way God wants them to be treated. Maybe God's calling you away from unfaithfulness or from greed. Maybe it's anger that God's calling you away from. It could be something, something less sinister. Maybe, maybe God's calling you away from a job. Maybe God's calling you away from an unhealthy relationship that you're in. Maybe God's calling you away from an unhealthy habit. What is God calling you away from? But just as importantly, what is God calling you to? Is God calling you to mentoring a child? Is is he calling you to teach a, a small group? Is he calling you to start a new ministry? Is he calling you to give generously to kingdom causes? Is he calling you to go on the mission field? Is he calling you to go across the street and show kindness to your neighbor? Is he calling you to take believing, belonging, and becoming seriously for once in your life? What is God calling you from? What is God calling you to? Every person's answer is unique. And this week, at some point, you need to sit down and ask and answer those questions in your life. What's he calling me from? What's he calling me to? True, because this, what's he calling me to? Because this is crucial. If God is calling you from something, he has something better for you. And if God is calling you to something, there is nothing better for you. That's what Elisha understood. If God's calling me away from this, he's got something better. And if God's calling me to this, There is nothing better. We've got to be convinced of that. But we'll never burn the plows. We'll never kiss our old life goodbye in order to pursue what God has in store for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, We come to a time of decision, a time where we have to ask if we trust you enough to entrust our plans to you, to entrust our dreams to you, to entrust our hopes to you, to entrust our lives and our future to you. Lord, it's the time to ask, do we trust you enough to burn our plows and to kiss our old lives goodbye? even though we don't have all the answers about what lies ahead. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with the biggest decision of all, and that is whether to forsake self and sin in order to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord God, if there's someone here this morning who needs to walk away from their old life in order to receive new life in Christ, I pray that today will be their day. Lord, if there are those to whom you're calling to a ministry, to something that you've laid on their hearts, God, give them the courage today to walk away from whatever's behind in order to embrace what you have in store for them. 
Maybe it's to be part of the life of this church. Maybe it's to be a leader in this church. Maybe it's to be a servant in this church. Whatever it is, Lord, you're calling us to, we want to embrace that. And Lord, if there are those who simply need to come to you this morning to dump out the sin that they've been carrying in this barrel of their hearts, to find your cleansing this morning and a new beginning, whatever it is, Lord, you call us to, we now respond. In Jesus' name, amen.